Why don't you turn to Second Peter chapter three, please? Second Peter chapter three. We're going to look at verses seventeen and eighteen, and the message entitled "Counsel to Prevent Deception." Peter ends his epistle knowing he would probably never communicate with these believers again because he has just told them in the epistle that surely he must put off his earthly body as the Lord has showed him in chapter 1, verse 14. The outline, remember, of Peter is real simple. Remember your heritage in Christ, chapter 1. Remember the heretic in the church, chapter 2. And remember your hope in Christ, chapter 3. Peter realized the potential danger of being deceived by doctrinal error, and so he closes with the exhortation on how to be faithful in the day of apostasy, which is threefold. Let me read here verses um, 17 and 18. He says, You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. And so, this exhortation on how to be faithful in the day of apostasy unfolds for us as follows. First, the believers to be vigilant, verse 17. Second, the believers to grow, the first part of 18. And then thirdly, the believer is to worship the remainder of 18. The believers to be vigilant. It's dangerous ground. That's the background. Verse 17. Nor does the apostle Peter declare believers are responsible for the truth they know. Peter addresses the believer for the last time, coming to the end of his letter here. You therefore, beloved... The personal pronoun you is emphatic in the Greek. The saint is the target of deception by false teachers in the church. He's already told him that in chapter 2, verse 1. The deception of false teachers in the church will be, many will be deceived. Chapter 3, verse 2. Within the church. The believer is the one to defend the truth of the word of God against deception. Or to give an answer to every man for the reason, the hope that lies in it with me, because in fear, First Peter 3.15 says. Now the word therefore, as you know, means consequently or in view of what precedes. It's the sum total of what uh, he comes to here. In view of the fact that you are looking forward to eternal life, as verse 14 says. In view of understanding the long-suffering of God as salvation to sinners, verse 15 says. In the view of knowing ignorant and unstable people twisted the writings of Paul and the scriptures about the coming of Messiah to their own destruction, verse 16 says, the concern of Peter, notice, is a loving concern. The word beloved, as we have noted, is agapitos, a word of endearment expressing affection. This is the sixth and the last time Peter uses it in the letter. Peter reminded the believer of being forewarned in verse 17. Since you know this beforehand, 
The entire phrase is one Greek word that is a compound word. The first is pro, before, and nosco, to understand and perceive. The word is used for the foreknowledge of God in Romans 8.29, to know beforehand. The participle present here literally knowing beforehand, having no excuse, because they're believers. They've been taught, they've been warned. You as a parent, as you instruct your child, the older they get, and they do some bonehead thing, you know they should have known. And your response is, what were you thinking? Because you've taught them, you've warned them. Notice the particulars Peter forewarned them is in reference to the last days. It goes from verse 3 to 16. The last days is the context. Scoffers would come walking after their own lust in verse 3, denying the promise of His coming in verse 4. Willfully being ignorant of God's judgment over the earth and Noah's days and present heavens and earth going to be judged by God, verse 5 and 6. God's seeming delay is for the salvation of many in verse 8 and 9, but they just mock it and ignore it. The earth and heavens of the kingdom age will be dissolved, resulting in the new heaven and earth and eternal state in verse 10 through 13. Knowing untaught and unstable people will always distort scriptures to their own destruction, verse 16. Only three little chapters. It's a powerful book. Notice the Apostle Peter declared believers are not to think they cannot be deceived from the truth. They're not to think that they cannot be deceived. Look at 17 there at the end. Peter proclaimed a real potential danger from without. Ready? Beware. <laughs> now, if there is no potential for you to be deceived, why warn? Simple. The individual believer is the sentinel of his own salvation. The word beware there is an imperative command, a military term. The word means to watch and guard against spiritual deception. Literally keep yourself from idols, 1 John 5.21 says. Anything that would come before God or in the place of God. The English is reversed from the Greek order here in our New King James Version. The Old King James Version has it in the right orders like this. Beware lest being led away with the air of the wicked. The phrase being led away means to be carried away by the danger from without. As if you would see a flash flood coming and you're warning the person, get out of the way, get across, get on high ground. The word is used to describe how the Jews played the hypocrite with Peter. When certain of the Jews came from up to Antioch from Jerusalem, and even Barnabas was carried away in Galatians 2.13. Same word. Peter and the rest played the hypocrites. Paul got in their face. This is the part of simple error as passive, literally having been led away 
an accomplished fact. The danger being that we can be so influenced or affected that despite of the truth known, we are swept along with the air. The word air there is plano or plenty, P-L-A-N-E in the translation of the Greek, which means wandering or straying about is used for roaming planets. <laughs> Same word is used for when they speak great swelling words of emptiness. They allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in air. Second Peter 2.18 Those who actually had escaped. Notice Peter proclaimed also the real potential danger from within. Lest you also fall from your own steadfastness. The individual believer must abide, live out, and cling to God's truth. The word fall means to fall away from the truth they hold. Literally, you shall fall, a subjective error is active in the Greek, a real possibility, not something theoretical or hypothetical. The individual falls away from his own steadfastness, meaning firm condition, the only appearance in the New Testament of this word right here. The divine truth making them stable in the salvation received. Notice the process is as follows. Having been led away with the air of the wicked, you fall from your own steadfastness. Peter has already stated this. For if after they have escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. Second Peter 2.20 There's only one group of per people that could be describing those who have been born again, accepted Christ, and now they are back entangled in the world. He says, have escaped. If you're not born again, you cannot escape the life you came out of. It's impossible. In medicine, there are two approaches to illness and disease. Preventative and corrective Preventative medicine does all it can to guard and prevent illness and disease. The corrective medicine attempts to arrest and correct the problem by treating it extremely or operating. Preventative is always best. The less costly and beneficial is preventative medicine. And so Peter warns and exhorts the believer in order to prevent deception from the truth by abiding, clinging to the truth that you've received. If there is no possibility of believers to be deceived again, why did Jesus warn believers? 
Listen to Matthew 5, 15. We're right now in Matthew. We're coming to chapter 7. He says this. Beware of false prophets who come in to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Now, if there's no danger to be deceived or devoured, why is that? Matthew 16, 6, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, referring to their corrupt teaching, their doctrine. Take heed that no man deceive you, Matthew 24, 4 says. First words out of the mouth of Jesus on the Olivet Discourse. That would be during the tribulation period that he's talking about. If there is no possibility of a believer being deceived, why are all the warnings in the New Testament written to Believers, listen to Paul, Galatians 1, 6-7. I marvel that you are turned away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. There's only one genuine. Many false. Many duplicate false gospels. Only one truth. Ephesians 4, 12 and 14 says, For the purpose of the church is to equip the same for the work of ministry to no longer be like children tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and cunning craftiness, deceiving and plotting. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy, phileo, sophia, the love of wisdom, an empty deceit according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ, for in him dwells all the forms of Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of the principalities and powers, Colossians 2, 8 through 10. Is Paul just playing games with the Christians? These epistles that I'm reading now, they're polemic. There's heresy. There's, there's people who are trying to deceive the believer. If there is no possibility of the believer being deceived, why was the book of Hebrews written warning Jews for returning back to animal sacrifices. Though not all had reached the falling condition, they were certainly on their way. Evident of the five warnings that become more severe as they go along. Don't drift from what you have heard, warning against disregarding the words of Jesus, so that great salvation ending in eternal loss. Hebrews 2.1 Don't disbelief or depart from the living God, warning against unbelief on the sufficiency of God for one's salvation. Exhort one another to harden not your hearts through the deceitfulness of sin, Hebrews 3.12 says. Don't degenerate in your spiritual growth, warning against discrediting the Son of God and falling away back to sacrifices there being no repentance in them any longer. Hebrews 5.12 and 6.4-8. Don't despise the spirit of grace warning against blasphemy. The consequences are eternal punishments. Hebrews 10.29. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of, the, uh, of a holy God. Vengeance belongs to me, says the Lord. He's the ultimate judge. Last one in Hebrews 12, 25 says, Don't defy what you have heard, warning against disobeying the call of God. 
do you warn your children or the children on the next block? Do you warn the children that you've bore with your wife or your husband or complete strangers at Walmart? (laughs) Hmm. There are too many warnings to the Christian. Paul reminds the believer, now all these things happened to them as an example And they were written for admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed what? Lest he fall. 1 Corinthians 10, 11 through 12. Paul says, you have become estranged from the Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. Galatians 5, 4. They were listening to the Judaizers. Go back to sacrifice also. Paul warns, now the Spirit expressly says, this is prophecy, listen. The Spirit clearly says, literally, that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons, 1 Timothy 4.1. You cannot depart from where you were never at. You must be there. You cannot fall from a place you were never standing in. It's simple. God gave Adam and Eve a negative. Do not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil to prevent them from what? Dying spiritually. Genesis 2.17. They chose to die. Eight of the Ten Commandments are in the negative. The fourth The Sabbath, the fifth, honoring father and mother are in the affirmative, again, to bring about positive results. Sin is deceitful, Romans 7, 11 says. Self is deceitful, 1 Corinthians 8, 18. Satan is deceitful, 2 Corinthians 11, 14. And sinful man is deceitful, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3. Man... Where's the goodness of man? Is your hope in this world? You'll never find it apart from Jesus Christ. The believer will be faithful in the last, uh, in the days of apostasy, being vigilant. Vigilant. Secondly, verse 18, the first part, the believers to grow. Notice the Apostle Peter declared the believer is to grow in the provisions that protects against deception. But grow in grace. The believer is to be growing spiritually. The word but is a contrasting conjunction, as you know. The negative is the warning. The positive is to grow. To prevent being led away from the air of the wicked and falling from their own steadfastness, they were to make sure... To be growing spiritually. Very important, just like you bring a child from the hospital and you, you know, you want them to grow physically and develop and to mature on every level. That's what you're looking for. The word grow means to increase an imperative command. The tense is the present active to be continuously growing, developing, and maturing in their faith, as he did in the opening of this epistle in chapter 1, verse 5 through 7. Constantly. 
Notice that, you know, you look around, you see the kids are all little now, right? But then as you're here for years, you see them growing, right? But adults stop growing at a certain point, right? <laughs> kids just grow. Well, spiritually speaking, many Christians just never grow. They just stay there. The believer at this point, at his spiritual birth, is an infant spiritually. They need milk of the Word, First Peter 2, 2. They have the great potential to grow up to the fullness of Christ, of Ephesians 4, 13. An infant is unable to eat solid food, so you give him milk and pablum, and then you start mixing it with other stuff, and pretty soon he's chomping on a steak. But it's progressively. The believers to grow in grace, caris, unmerited favor. Peter opened up his letter with the greeting of grace and peace be multiplied to you in chapter 1, verse 2. Peter ends the same way. Grow in grace. It's a sandwich. <laughs> grace. It stands in contrast to law. The law accuses man. Grace justifies man. The law condemns man. Grace forgives man. Grace was promised in the law, by the way. All the law pointed to the grace to come. All the sacrifice also pointed to the grace to come. And all shadows and times pointed to the grace to come through Jesus Christ. Grace is synonymous with the gospel, the fulfillment of through that promised Messiah. The fulfillment of redemption for both Jew and Gentile, Ephesians, Jew and Gentile, one in Christ Jesus. No difference. Scythian, barbarian, male, female, slave, free, bond, doesn't matter. Black, white, pink, stripe, whatever. All one in Christ. Christians have always seen themselves as one family, regardless of their origin, their nationality, their color of skin, or anything. True believers never allow culture, their nationality, their traditions, or anything else to divide them in Christ. We're citizens of heaven, ladies and gentlemen. Please understand that. The believer had been recipient of grace, saved by grace, Ephesians 2, 8, where sin abounds, much more does grace abound, Romans 5, 20. Grace had been given to them according to the gift of God in Romans 12, 6. God's grace was sufficient for anything in their lives. For 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul says, my grace is sufficient. Remember, when I'm weak, I'm strong. They were to sing with grace, Colossians 3, 16 says. They were to speak always with grace, Colossians 4, 6. God gives more grace to who? The humble, James 4, 6. They were to be stewards of the manifold grace of God, multicolored. 1 Peter 4.10. Listen to 1 Peter 5.10. May the God of all grace who calls us to his eternal glory by Jesus Christ after that you have suffered a while. Perfect, establish, strengthen, 
and settle us. Wow. To, all, to us, most of this is foreign because we've never suffered for Christ as a church in America. But we're to understand that most Christians do and have. It's important. Notice still there in 18, the Apostle Peter declared the believer is to grow in the person providing the provisions of grace to protect him against deception. It's not what, it's who will deliver me from this body of death, as Paul says. It's a person, not a force. Grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Peter command the believer to grow in their personal knowledge of our Lord. The word knowledge knows is primarily means seeking to know and inquiry, investigating, um, not merely intellectual information or knowledge. This is a spiritual understanding and that it might transform my life, my mind, my heart, that I'd be more like Jesus Christ, less like me. Um, Peter used the word two other times, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence after your Faith, virtue, to virtue, knowledge. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. Stop and think how much you've grown in the knowledge of Christ since you were born again. As you study, you come on Sundays, you come midweek, you come to the women's study, the men's study. You just hit it from every end and you're growing leaps and bounds in your knowledge. And you're asking God to put it together to transform you. And how far the Lord has brought you. The knowledge is about their Lord, notice, curios. It means the person who you belong to, who I belong to. The person having the power and authority over our lives, the owner, master, the possessor of our very being. It's a title of honor, respect, in the most common way, but here it's used for the Messiah. Notice Peter command the believer to grow in the knowledge of our Savior. Soter means deliver, protector. The idea of being one who rescues you from danger and destruction. Every one of us here tonight, we're on the road to hell. And some of us were having a blast being ignorant of the danger we were under. Totally oblivious. There have been times when tragedies have struck where people are having a great time, maybe in a house or maybe on a ship, and they just, like the Titanic, just all of a sudden, everything turns bad. That's what Jesus did to us. He delivered us. He rescued us. The angel told the shepherds, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord in Luke 2.12. What a great, great, incredible news that God gave to mankind. The title was given to Jesus in Samaria, by the way, if you remember. The Christ, the Savior of the world in John 4.42. Not in Jerusalem. Not by the Jews but by one who the Jews despised and thought that they had no possibility of entering heaven. They're a bunch of dogs. 
Hmm. All 24 appearances in the New Testament of saviors ascribed to Jesus Christ. Several to his deliverance of the church in the rapture at the second coming. Notice Peter commanded the believer to grow in the knowledge of Jesus. You have titles and a name. And the name represents his humanity, the incarnation, a real person, a real birth. He occupied a real actual time and place in history. The Greek name, as you know, Jesus is from the Hebrew name Joshua. The contraction Yahweh Shua, Yahweh is salvation. Matthew one twenty one, the name was given to Mary by the angel Gabriel. You should call his name Jesus. He also says Emmanuel, God with us, the God man. The name Jesus appears 975 times in the New Testament. Who do you think the New Testament is about? You? <laughs> you would think it is, but the way some teachers teach about how God wants you to be rich and healthy and wealthy and, and, and you're the king's kid and you can claim this and claim that and, you know, you can live by kingdom principles and it's all yours. As if God's just one big Santa Claus. Wow. News to most of the church in the last 2,000 years. <laughs> Peter commanded the believer to grow. Christos, in him, the title, the anointed, indicating the promised Messiah back to Adam in Genesis 3.15 to Isaiah 7.14, Behold, a virgin shall bear a child, shall call his name Emmanuel. The name and titles are joined together. Jesus Christ, who is the Savior, this being due that he is God who became man through the incarnation. Isaiah prayed, Lord, rent the heavens and come down. I can hear the Father says, 700 years I'll be there. I'll answer your prayer in 700 years. <laughs> in the beginning was the Word, the Word was the God, and God was the Word, and the Word became flesh, and we beheld His glory. He was only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Wow. Hmm. Having divested himself of his glory, he took on the form of a servant. Being in the form of God, he didn't think it robbery to be equal with God and became obedient to the death of the cross. And for that reason, a name has been given to him above every other name. That the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Philippians 2, 6 on down to 11. Amazing. And he says, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Verse 5. Of Philippians 2. Hmm. A child who has grown, developed, and matured to an adult, able to discern right from wrong, lives responsibly and is an asset to his home and society, and likewise a Christian to his family and the family of God. We must grow, we must develop, we must be mature. 
every step of the way as we continue to study the Word of God and we become part of the body of Christ. The people who grow in their religious religions are not growing in grace. They're growing in deception. They study rules and regulations and demonstrate their righteousness, self-righteousness. They live out their belief to merit their worthiness before God. And they point to all their works. They have not experienced the new birth through Jesus Christ, though they may believe and confess the name of Jesus. It doesn't mean they're born again. They grow intolerant of the beliefs of others and are hostile, militant, and persecutors of true believers. There's no one more radical than a religious person. Islam is the best example of our day. Christians, if they get rejected, they don't get offended. If they get beat up, they ask God to strengthen them and pray for the one who beat them up. They get insulted. They don't go get three friends and go jump the guy. They pray for him. But religious people, they're radical. They mean business. They're intolerant. The greatest religion of America is humanism. The belief in self. That's their God. You and I used to be there. There is no room for God. It's an affront to them. It's a threat to them. And they will respond against it. Second Timothy 3, 5-7 through 7 says, Having a form of godliness but denying the power... And from such people turn away, for of this sort are those who creep into whole households and make captive of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Through the last... Forty-four years of my life as a Christian, I've seen many people have incredible transforming uh, testimonies what God has done in their life. I've seen how God has transformed their life and done incredible things. And I've seen them go through their struggles and they trust the Lord and God just does an incredible work. And I've seen others in the very same position and then just allow themselves to be deceived. Just like a man would betray his wife or a wife would betray her husband, allowing some, another rival to come in and woo them a little bit at a time. It isn't just the first encounter, but it's very slowly. To where they are seduced, the same spiritually. Scripture says, and of his fullness, we have all received grace for grace in John 1.16. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, John 
Thank God for grace. The person who is growing in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be becoming more like Him. He must increase. I must decrease, John the Baptist said in John 3.30. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, Colossians 2.3 says. Paul put it this way, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. Second Corinthians four sixteen through 18. Everything that you see, everything you touch is going to just burn up one of these days. Whether you have a new car, an old car, you have a nice house or a dinky house or a big house, your clothes, your shoes, it makes no difference. Nothing wrong with those things, but they don't consist in what life is about. The older you get, the more you understand this. You can only wear one pair of shoes at a time, except ladies. But, but how much is enough? And as Americans, it's just a way of life. But being a Christian should affect our thinking, our priorities. Once again, not speaking against things in and of themselves, but the trust, the hunger, the wanting to need and to have everything and anything and in comparison and in competition and to present yourself as something that you're really not, it's, it's vain. It's like the world. If that's where you're at, you, you're still carnal. The believer will be faithful in the day of apostasy by growing. How are we doing? Are we growing in Christ Jesus? Day by day? Through the good times, through the bad times, through the easy times, through the difficult times, through the crushing times, through the things that you say, the thing I fear the most has come upon me. And it crushes you. And you have to go to the Lord. Hmm. Notice thoroughly the believers to worship them. The rest of 18, the Apostle Peter declared all the credit is to, the, to be ascribed to Jesus. Listen, to him be the glory. All that goes on. Peter makes it very clear in his doxology, the pronoun him refers back to Jesus Christ. Through Jesus, the believer, is brought to the Father. Through Jesus, the believer has access to the throne of grace night and day, 24-7. Through Jesus, his sins have been forgiven. Through Jesus, sinners become saints. And there isn't a thing that we can boast about except in him. Peter stated there can never be any credit taken by the believer. The word glory doxa means opinion, judgment, or estimation. No believer can ever take the credit for anything, even though we are co-participants yielding to him. It is his glory. 
No believer can ever believe they have impressed God in their lives. Anybody here think they've impressed God any time in their life? Just shocked him where he said, I had no idea, Gabriel. That guy is just a bomb. Really? Hmm. The magnificence, excellence, and dignity is due to Jesus, ladies and gentlemen. Being able to see deception clearly. Being able to understand the destructiveness of deception immediately. Being able to declare the truth to expose the deception always. Who do I owe that to? <laughs> to the Lord. Apostle Peter declared all the honor is to be ascribed to Jesus. Peter implies that our submission to Jesus is a declaration of his honor. For leaving his abode with the Father. For coming to save the world. For loving sinners. Peter implies that our submission to Jesus results in honor to him. Having faith in him. Depending on him. Resting in him. Peter also implies that our submission to Jesus in honor of him. Recognizing him as God, believing he has our best in mind, trusting him for his will to be done. Notice Peter declared all the praises to be ascribed to Jesus. He implies that every word of praise, ascribing worth coming forth from our mouth of the believer is to exalt Jesus. Be it in conversation, be it in answering a non-believer or a believer, be it in correcting those who oppose the truth of the gospel. Peter implies that every song of praise singing with about worthiness is to be about Jesus and sung to Jesus no one else. The music is not important as the words are. The music should never hinder the hearing of the words. The person singing should never detract or take attention away from the worship of Jesus. There are some people that just love to be the center and focus of attention. In congregations, so they they want to stand out. Now we're all standing worshiping God. Praise God! Some people want to raise their hands. Fine, but you start dancing around and waving back and forth. You're you're saying, "Look at me!" No, we don't want to look at you. You're detracting from the worship of God. I mean, how many of you would go to a restaurant? Everybody's sitting down eating. You stand up and you're even standing up. Why would you do that? Now, if everybody's at a bar, one of these restaurants that everybody stands up and eats, then that's fine. And so once again, why is it that I do what I do? People used to get mad at Pastor Chuck when he got down on them like that all the time. 
because he would expose the hypocrisy, the Phariseeism. Again, we love people to look at us and get a detract from the worship of God. Often, Notice the Apostle Peter declared that the credit, honor, and praise in the worship of Jesus to be going on from the present to eternity, both now and forever. Amen. Peter in his doxology breaks from the usual format found in the New Testament. The word now indicates the present. Forever indicates eternity. Literally, it reads, on the day of eternity. Peter has been dealing with the second coming, the millennium, the eternal state. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Chapter 3, verse 13. Peter affirms the rightness of the doxology by the word amen as you know when the word amen is found in the beginning of a sentence that qualifies what is going to be stated as very important and absolute truth Jesus says truly or verily or assuredly I say to you it's the beginning of the sentence pay attention what I'm going to say is true and is very important when the same word amen is put at the end of the sentence it just says, so be it. It affirms and confirms what is said is true. Let it be so. Let it be done. Grace be with you all. Amen. Hebrews thirteen twenty five. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Amen. 1 John five twenty one. The word amen is a universal word as much as hallelujah is two universal words that in every language is pronounced the same way. Everybody understands them. Whether you say amen, amen, or hallelujah, or hallelujah, but everybody understands those two. They're universal words. All languages recognize them. And they're two great words. They stand out in the Bible. You know, when Queen Victoria had just um, ascended her throne, she went as a custom of royalty to her to hear the Messiah rendered. And she had been instructed as to her conduct by those who knew and was told that she must not rise when the others stood at the singing of the Hallelujah Chorus. When that magnificent chorus was being sung and the singers were shouting, Hallelujah, 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 for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth, she sat down with great, great difficulty. It seemed as if she would rise in spite of the custom of kings and queens. But finally... When they came to that part of the chorus where with a shout they proclaimed him king of kings, suddenly the young queen rose and stood with bowed head. 
as if she would take her crown from off her head and cast it to her feet. There's no other name. There's none like him. He has defeated sin and death. If you're going to die, and if you're human, you're going to die, you want to make sure you speak to someone who knows what happens after death. There's only one person who's come back from the dead, out from it. Not Buddha, not Krishna, not Allah, only Jesus Christ. If you don't go to Jesus, then it's like taking your car to um, a snowmobile place to get fixed. It's ridiculous. They won't know how to fix your car. Every person will die at one time if the Lord tarries. We will pass through that gate of death. Those who know Jesus will be instantly present before the Lord. Those who do not will be instantly separated from God. That is never stated with any joy or satisfaction by a believer. But it's a warning and a plea that if you don't know Jesus Christ, you repent, you open your heart to him. Ask him to forgive you, to make you his child by the grace of God. Regardless of what Jesus does with for or through us, the glory always belongs to him. Paul makes this very clear in 1 Corinthians 1, 27 through 30. Throughout the epistles, all the time. The worship of Jesus is in heaven. Therefore, it should be the theme of earth. Listen to the book of Revelation. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him and who sit on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Revelation 4, 8 through 11. The songs to Jesus are the expression of our love and appreciation and we worship him for all he's done for us. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Revelation 4, 8 through 10. There's only one group of people that can sing that song. That's the church. The church, no one else. 
And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Second Corinthians or Second Timothy 4.18. That's the epistle of Paul, last will and testament. His head is going to roll not too long after he wrote that epistle. Wow. Now unto him was able to keep you from falling. Verse 24 of Jude. As you abide, as you grow, as you develop, as you mature, and you look to him. The believer will be faithful in the day of apostasy through worship. And so, this is the close of his little epistle. Knowing he probably would never see these guys or write to these guys again. Because shortly, the Lord showed him that he was going to take him to heaven. And so, Peter realized the potential danger of deception by doctrinal error. Now, he was going to go to heaven. No big deal for him. But these guys were left behind. So, he ended with this exhortation on how to be faithful in the day of apostasy. The believer will be faithful in the day of apostasy, being vigilant by growing and by worship. How are we doing? And that doesn't mean just here, during the studies. That means when you're home. That means when you're at work. That means when you're driving down the freeway. That means when you feel happy. That means that feel, that when you don't feel happy. Always looking to him. Knowing that he is faithful to the end. Father, we thank you. We worship you for who you are. Thank you for your son. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your word, Lord. And thank you for every person here. And Lord, we pray that if there's anybody here or over the internet doesn't know you, you would speak to their hearts, or even over the radio, Lord, as they're listening throughout the world, that you would just minister to them as they call on your name. If you're here, you don't know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, or you're hearing us out there somewhere in the world, Jesus is God who became man. He died for your sins and rose from the dead. And if you believe what the Word of God says about him, you can call upon him, and have your sins forgiven and be absolutely saved by his grace. And he will make you a child of God. It's called repentance. Acknowledging your sinfulness. Your rebellion against God. And that he died for your sins making that payment. And you want to call upon his name to be justified in his name. That your sins may be forgiven. And you may be made whiter than snow. If so, this is your prayer to him right where you're at right now. Here, over the internet, or somewhere in the world. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.